You're about to learn what's going on inside of Chrysler. This is AutoLine. If Winston Churchill were to talk about Chrysler these days, he might use that famous quote of his and describe it as a riddle inside of a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Ever since Cerberus bought Chrysler and took the company private, it pretty much shut down all information as to what was going on inside the company. But when Chrysler recently went into the capital field to try and extend its line of credit, it came up $6 billion short. And then it started hearing from suppliers who were reluctant to invest in new product lines because of their uncertainty as to the company's future. So now Chrysler realizes it's got to start to open up again to the outside world. And today, we're taking a deep dive inside of what's going on there. My special guest today, Tom Lasorda, the chairman of Chrysler LLC. I'll be talking to him about all aspects of the business, including who might buy them. So stay right where you are. We've got Tom Lasorda coming right up after this. This is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Joining me right now is Tom Lasorda, the Vice Chairman of Chrysler LLC. Tom, great to have you here on the set of AutoLine. Good to see you again. Let's talk about this business. And as you know, boy, at this snapshot in time, it's really grim. We're seeing the U.S. market in particular just melt down. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Do you see any hope out there at this point? Well, there has to be hope because this business is notorious for big drops and then, of course, comebacks. We think the comeback is going to be a little longer this time and maybe like a bathtub curb where we're down to the bottom. We'll stay there for a little bit, maybe through through 2009, but we will recover. It's just a matter of uh, a little more of extended time this time. 2010, then, you're saying we should start to see it really yeah, come back? Yeah, I think back, 2010 or? it'll come back, 11 uh, uh, for sure, and about 10, we'll see some pretty significant growth, we think. You guys just pulled out of the leasing business. Uh, how hard a hit are your dealers going to take on that? Sales are already down, and now you've pulled a big selling tool out mm. from under them. Well, first of all, lease markets, the big areas are the Great Lakes, and primarily in the Detroit market is huge. Uh, very big percentage, and a lot of that's employee sales. And of course, Northeast in the, the New York area. So that's, that's big as well. But other markets like Southwest is only two or 3% of our business. So it's concentrated. So in those areas, we're looking at specific programs where a consumer might have a 299 lease. Can we set up a financing program where somebody can get a car for the same price per month? And then of course, at the end of the term, they'd own the product like we used to when we all grew up. I mean, those cars used to pass down to kids now. Instead, they're turning their lease vehicles back to the dealers. Leasing is, of course, uh, more popular the higher up in price you go in cars. And of course, that's where you're going to make most of your profits are on the higher priced ones. It, it must be more of a bite by not having leasing in that segment. Well, it's too early to tell, John. I think uh, we just announced it at the end of July. People rushed in to get the, some lease deals. Boy, did they ever. They <laughs> rushed in in a big number. <laughs> well, about 100, uh, 100 sales uh, a day according to some of the dealers in the last few days which is kind of nice if they did that every day we wouldn't be interviewing or coming up here but bottom line i think uh, we have to see how it does i think our incentive plan as we again allow people to take a regular finance deal and pay the same monthly payment i think that's going to be the secret to keep the sales up where we need them to be 
Tom, it's no secret that uh, the truck market has had its legs kicked out from under it. SUVs are down, full-size pickups and the like. But what alarmed me was looking at your sales and seeing that your front-wheel drive four-cylinder cars didn't do too well in the last two months. For the year, they're about flat mm -hmm. in a market that just seems to be screaming for four-cylinder front-drive cars. How come things like the Caliber and Avenger and the like aren't selling better in this kind of climate? Well, I, you should be asking Jim Presta. <laughs> <laughs> but bottom line here is uh, I think it's the focus on advertising and getting the product message out there. Like the Jeep Patriot's a great, great car. The and that's been doing reasonably it's well. It's been doing well. The Caliber is still our number one selling car outside of North America. So it's doing well here as well. I think you'll see a pickup again this month. There's been a little more marketing focus on the product. And our dealers needing, are getting behind the product as well. Your cars, I love the Caliber too. I love the design of it. But I think it's what, 27 miles to the gallon on the highway in a market that seems to, if you, if you can't say 30, don't even talk yeah. about it. Well, a base Caliber is over, uh, over 30. Hmm. So if you get a, a manual transmission with the CVT. Yeah, but nobody buys a manual well, transmission. Well, you'll be surprised. In Europe, it's very, very high. In Europe, and yeah. It's coming and back. we'll get to that in a minute, but See, I'm talking U.S. now. Well, we're bringing out a Challenger with a, uh, with a manual transmission because of demand. So certain products are still, people want to do it. But you're right, the gasoline, uh, normal engine, you know, automatics are there. Mm -hmm. uh, your minivans have held up pretty well, though. I, I was surprised. Well, the town and country, at least, is, is yeah, still doing pretty well. It's doing great. I mean, the market uh, segment is down, but we're gaining share in the market. So and the town and country is a nice, uh, nice product for it. It's good margin on it for us as well. What about Journey? Uh, sales numbers don't seem to be where I think you guys must have been looking for it. And uh, what are your thoughts on that, and what can you do there? Well, and, and, and I know I should be asking Jim Press this yeah, question yeah, no too, problem, but I got you here yeah, now. That's right. Well, Journey uh, is just a great product. It's the best in class fuel economy for the uh, that segment, which is crossover segment, three roads, 25 miles uh, per gallon on the uh, on the highway. It started off really good. We're kind of leveling off. We want to see the sales big. It's going into Europe. We're seeing sales picking up very nicely. Canada and Mexico are really selling hot. So it's the U.S., and we just got to get behind it in the marketing side. That's the secret for that car. Let's talk uh, more about some of the business at Chrysler right now. There, there's a lot of skepticism out there in the analyst community on some of the numbers that you guys went public with. And they're saying or telling me, you know, uh, GM lost $16 billion. Ford lost $9 billion. Chrysler has lost more sales and market share than them. And Chrysler says everything's on plan. How can you guys be doing so much better, mm -hmm. I mean, at least what you're saying, than the other two when you've lost more sales and market yeah. share on a percentage basis than they have? Well, first of all, if you look at just take July, I mean, our fleet sales were virtually nothing. So we're taking non-profitable fleet sales out. Others are selling still a lot of fleets. And of course, we're taking out any of the non-profitable products. We're not going to chase the incentive game anymore and just put money on the hood, finding out you're not moving anything. So we've been pulling back on that. We've been very competitive, but we've been pulling back on that. So when we look at the sales that are dropping, it's mainly fleet. We've taken some products out of the portfolio on design, and we've taken over $2 billion of fixed cost out that helps offset this revenue chase. That's what people don't understand. If you take $2 billion of cost out, that goes right to the bottom line. You can offset a lot of revenue miss for that, and that's kind of what's going on right now. Sales in Canada, of course, are up. Mexico is up and international, so that's help offsetting what's going on in the U.S. Um, 
Let's talk about your, your product portfolio then. How much have you cut out of that, out of your research and development budget? Uh, and th the reason I'm asking is obviously you're, you're out trolling the industry <laughs> to see what other partners that you can find, and I gotta believe you've taken a lot of money out of R&D as well. No, we haven't. As a matter of fact, our ca capital plan is still three billion. It's been set at that for the last few years. We're not trimming that at all. In fact, even if you go with a partner, you still need to make, uh, put in capital. So like the new B-segment car we're doing with Nissan, we're having to put capital into the program. It turns out it's not a lot compared to having to do an all-new platform for ourselves. So we're spending it. It's more efficient. And of course, Frankie was issuing who you know very well in manufacturing. We're looking at the efficiency of our spending capital allowing us to do more of these alliances and putting money up front. Bring me up to speed because I, I'm not sure I know all the different alliances. You mentioned the B car with Nissan. What else have you guys already announced that you're doing? Well, that's, uh, we've got another Versa uh, sedan model that we're going to be uh, shipping to uh, South American market next year. It's a Nissan product. That's a C-class car, right? It's uh, about, a, you know, depending who you talk B plus to, B-plus, yeah. C-minus, okay. you know? So that's going down there and, of course, uh, We've got the B sedan, and then we're building the, uh, the truck for Nissan. We're building the minivan for VW. So we're actually in the building business. Nobody's accounting for that, which is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 vehicles that we're building for others. So you make margin on those cars, too. But no one's accounting for those in our financials either. So Well, but you haven't started making them yet, right? I well, mean, the, we, the truck's still a few years right. out. and But the minivan is going to kick in big time for next year. Good volumes out of VW. And of course, we're still doing stuff for Mitsubishi and others. What about uh, Cherry? You guys had talked all about getting a small car from them, and I would have thought it'd be in the market by this point. What, what happened there? Well, we never said it would come to the U.S. market because all the Chinese do not have the safety and emission standards to meet U.S. Well, that's the why they'd go with you guys to learn how yeah. to do that, right? But before we would provide the intellectual property rights for something like that, we want to make sure that there's security and stableness in what we want in the relationship. So. Right now we're still talking and of course we have a memorandum of understanding and discussions with Great Wall, another Chinese company as well. So can you give us any update? Where, where, where's that car stand? Well, the car is still under development. Uh, we've, we've tested it. We've brought it over here and tested it in the U.S. market in Mexico, uh, South America to make sure it meets our standards. There's some development work that's still required for that car. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we put our brand on, any car, we want to make sure it meets our stringent standards. At this point, we're working with uh, Cherry to meet those standards. You looking to work with any other Chinese companies? Yeah, we've talked uh, to Gray Wall, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Those discussions are going on, and we've got discussions going on in Russia. And uh, who knows? I mean, hopefully we'll have some more announcements later this year. Now, does Chrysler just become sort of a, a, a branding company that has everybody else build its products for us, for you? Uh, how do you split that? Where do you see that going? Well, first of all, we have our core product lines and our core segments, which we're going to hold on to those. What we're primarily talking to companies about are in segments we currently do not compete, A and B segments. So in the discussions with Great Wall, it's primarily small segments moving into other regions in the world where we don't compete today. We have no presence in India at all. Mm -hmm. Small presence in Southeast Asia and, of course, the Russian and the Eastern Bloc countries, a small presence. So these small cars will help us grow, and that's what we're working on. It seems to me that with the dollar as weak as it is and you guys having fixed assets that in some cases are not being used much, couldn't you export out of the North American region more than you're doing right now? 
Well, the problem is that in, if you take Russia, for example, the import duty is 25%. Then, of course, a luxury tax will get you another 70%. So you're almost at 100% to export a Grand Cherokee into Russia. So a 5.7 Hemi Grand Cherokee is about 100 grand. <laughs> India is 100% import duty. China is 25%, and then they have the displacement duty or excise tax in the country of anywhere from 3 to 20%. So if you look at Brazil, the import duties there are 25 to 35%. So bottom line, you're forced to build there. And instead of us putting a lot of capital in those regions, we're going to work with a partner that has the capital. There's open capacity in every region except Brazil's tight. Mm -hmm. But China's lots of open capacity, so is Russia based on the automakers that are there. So that's why we're entering the picture uh, through using their capital and our IPR rights. You mentioned Russia a couple of times. I'm fascinated by the fact that you guys sold the tooling for the last generation Sebring to Vaz. How Gaz, did, Gaz, or yeah. Gaz, excuse yeah. me. Uh, any plans in selling other platforms out in the world? And uh, is that a business model that you'd like to follow? Well, we did that a number of years ago, and uh, it was a very good deal for them and for us because we were going to dispose of the assets. We own the intellectual property rights of the course, the, uh, the core design of it. But bottom line, it was a great relationship with them, and uh, we were over there. We had our people helping them out get started up along with Magna. So, yeah, I think it is a model that rather than just destroying them, we mm -hmm. would look at somebody if they wanted some of the products we're not building anymore, we'd, we'd sell those. W what did they pay you for that? Quite a bit, <laughs> but uh, it was a great deal for them. They got into a platform uh -huh. uh, for virtually, uh, from a standpoint, somebody else put one, one and a half billion. They didn't pay a lot for it. Right, and it meets all U.S. certification and all. You know European, that it's uh, yeah. the, the basic bones to the car is pretty Absolutely. good. Absolutely, and the emissions and the engines we supply and stuff like that. So, do you have other car companies knocking on your door saying, "Hey, uh, you know, I'd like that old Grand Cherokee, or I'd like the old whatever it happens to be." Well, let me just put it this way: When Chrysler went independent, we've had more companies wanting to talk to us about different arrangements than when we were with Daimler Chrysler. I think it's our independence, the flow of a of a private equity company doing deals. We will do those and draw service people into some of the discussions, but generally it's my people and myself involved in all the major deals. This new generation of technology that the auto industry is going to have to get into now, either to reduce CO2 in Europe or meat cafe in the U.S. or CO2 legislation in uh, California, horrifically expensive. How can Chrysler develop an electric car on its own? And I know that you guys are, are, are working along those lines. Uh, can, you, can you do something like this on your own? As small, uh, you're a big company, but small by, right. uh, in comparison to a lot of the others. Well, first of all, we don't have the big R&D centers like a big General Motors or a Ford or Toyota or, or even Daimler, for that matter. However, we still have access to Daimler's technology. As long as you show up with your checkbook, That's right? right? Yeah, you got to buy it. You got to buy it, like anybody. But yes, we are developing our own electric vehicles. What's really neat about the electrical field is that the suppliers are really the ones in the advanced stage because it's the, that technology of batteries and integration, and even the motors, the small motors or whatever else. So uh, we were driving them uh, last week, or last couple of weeks, and uh, so yeah, Chrysler's going to get into the play here. Does GEM, the, the neighborhood electric vehicle, play a role in that? Or? Yeah, we've combined GEM, uh, like Bruce Coventry, I just announced that he's going to lead GEM, and uh, he's going to report into Envy. Mm -hmm. The reason being... And, and explain, Envy is your electric... Envy is our electric advanced propulsion activity, 
That's uh, Lou Rhodes, and Lou also uh, heads up our advanced vehicle engineering. So he's looking at new platforms of the future as well as new technology. So he inter interfaces with our hybrid team. And of course, we've got Neighborhood Electric, and we're looking at Neighborhood Electric, which we're one of the biggest players in the world in that area. But most people don't know Chrysler owns it. Right. So Chrysler owns GEM, okay, which is the neighborhood global neighborhood uh, vehicles, electric vehicles. So we're going to expand that and grow around the world and start selling maybe in other parts of the world starting at the end of next year. Oh, interesting. Uh, what kind of car? Will this be something that can go out on city streets, or are you talking more of a neighborhood electric? Well, it's going to be neighborhood electric, but certain uh, countries have different rules. So we're looking, uh, looking at that, and who knows one day that we might want to focus on a city electric. What kind of, or which countries are you looking at? Uh, Nissan and Renault, for example, have targeted Israel and uh, Portugal, I believe it is. Uh, what are you guys looking at? Well, you see, we are already selling GEM vehicles in France. People don't know that, you know, in South America. So we're selling around the world, and we've got an arrangement that were discussions with Tata in India uh, with regard to some cross-sharing uh, relationships with our GEM electric vehicles. So we'll see how it happens. A lot of activity going on. People think we're sitting around. We're not. <laughs> we're going to have a lot make some of these things happen and grow Chrysler back out. Chrysler, of course, from the old Daimler Chrysler, had this deal joint development with General Motors and BMW of doing two-mode hybrid. What else are you looking along those lines of, of working with other car companies on? Well, those that uh, particular JV is going very, very well for us. We were launching our uh, two-mode hybrid system in the Aspen and Durango uh, as we speak. So that's going very well. Uh, we see that partnership uh, uh, very, very well, and we're looking at that for the future as well. What's interesting in our situation is we're able to look around the world. There are other people wanting to share some of their cost in development on what they're doing in hybrids and electrics. So we've had a lot of technical discussions with various companies in Asia, uh, Europe, and here. GM and Ford collaborated on a six-speed automatic transmission. There's talk now of maybe doing collaboration on engines. Would you like to get in on something like that? Well, we've said uh, people have looked at our uh, world engine plant and would love to be involved in some kind of that capacity there. We will definitely partner with more companies. We're doing that in transmissions with Katrag. We're looking at our Marysville plant partnering up with another axle supplier. So bottom line is we will do more ventures and uh, in powertrain. Uh, the the GM Ford thing uh, looks like it could spread a lot more. I mean. Uh, are there specific engines that you're looking at or transmissions that, that you can talk about of what you'd like to, to share in on? Well, obviously anything that's a seven or eight speed transmission, you gotta look around the world, not too many making them other than luxury makers. But I think that'll be the, the way for fuel economy in the future, so we're pursuing that activity. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned uh, your Dundee plant. You've got uh, a whole module there, as they say, just pretty much sitting empty, as I understand it. Well, we haven't put a, the, that module, we haven't put in the process equipment, and of course the plant's ready for it. We pre-planned that. We knew we would be using a, a somewhere in the neighborhood of six to 700,000. We could go up uh, higher. Uh, of course, the capacity in the plant, they're building more than what the original equipment was designed to do. That plant is fantastic. It's the number one productive plant in North America, engine plant, based on Harbor. So they're doing great, shingle prize winner. So I mean, this plant is absolutely world class. So we'll be looking to expand even for our own needs. Um, 
why has not Hyundai taking in, taken any engines out of there? They're, they're, they're part of the joint venture with yeah. you guys and Mitsubishi. And, uh, Good question for Hyundai. <laughs> They've been exporting and the currency's gone up quite a bit for them. So I think they could have got an engine far less expensive had they done it in that plan. I think they might regret it, uh, that decision. Hmm. Tom, where's Chrysler stand now in the sense that we all know Cerberus bought this thing to fix it up and sell it. Where are you in that process of finding a buyer for the whole company? Because so many people are worried pieces are going to get broken off. Well, there's no intent whatsoever to break any pieces, nor has Cerberus ever outlined to us their intent. This is a long-term investment. And as you know, this industry is going to take a few years to come out of it. But So you're not going to be seeing anybody trying to sell the place right now. We're going to be, our intent at the, at the operating levels, fix it, get it more profitable. Any decision by Cerberus is really left to them. They don't engage us in that. We don't want to be either. Some of the talk on the street is, uh, we don't like the way things are going there. It looks like they're just trying to pretty up the books, i.e. not put the kind of investment in the company that it needs. That, that just pretty is, up the books and, and go out and that, sell that's it. That's such, um, I was going to say, another manufacturing yeah, yeah. <laughs> term. That's absolute BS. And, uh, Cerberus is there to support us. The capital's flowing. Uh, we're putting it into product programs. We're launching a huge, huge lot of new products in 2010 and 11. The onslaught of new products is coming. They've not touched our capital plan one dollar. When will the company be sold? I don't think uh, in my time, I don't see that happening for a number of years. So two, three years, well, five years? I think it's much, much longer than that. Cerberus has maintained a commitment to stay involved. Real good. Well, Tom Lasorda, thanks so much for coming thanks, in and yeah. bring us up to speed with all, everything going on at Chrysler. Thanks, John. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Extra, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get the inside view at AutoLineDetroit.tv. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and next week I'm going to have a terrific show with a lot of variety to it. First up, I'll have Tim Luliet, the CEO of Dura Automotive, pontificating on his views as to what's going on in the automotive industry. And as any of you who know Tim knows, this guy is not shy about sharing his opinions. Then I'm going to have Phil Martins, the CEO of Arvin Innovation, a new supplier that was carved out of Arvin Meritor. Why would anyone want to start a new supplier company in this business climate? You're going to want to hear what Phil Martins has to say. And then I'll have Frank Dunn from the giant law firm Dyka Magasset giving us an update as to how private equity is now looking at the automotive industry. All that coming up next week on AutoLine where we give you a front row seat as to what's happening in the automotive industry.